So we've uh, we're, we've arrived at a, a toward the end of our our third uh, full day, uh, and now evening of our retreat. Um, it already seems a long time, <laughs> and although these retreats aren't easy, and I've done many of them. I realized sitting here tonight, I did my first retreat 40 years ago, and I think I should be somehow different than I am, but here I am. (laughs) 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 So I don't know if that's a good advert or not, but, but, uh, and I can still, I still feel how challenging these spaces are to be in, and, you know, still get the impulse to want to leave. (laughs) Which is harder for me sitting here in this position than perhaps it is for you to get an emergency call from someone that needs me somewhere. (laughs) But even so, I have uh, experienced uh, and I do experience a lot of appreciation and gratitude and it is the season for gratitude uh, for for all of uh, you and us undertaking this journey together uh, and it it is uh, an undertaking, and it is a journey, and it is one that uh, we need each other for, uh, for the most part, um, that um, it's hard to do alone. I have a lot of appreciation for our team, it's fabulous, and for each of you, and hearing some of you, your uh, insights and struggles, it feels very authentic. And for this uh, center here and all that's gone into bringing this about, um, and that that helps a lot to to in spite of whatever we're working with and whatever the challenges that may appear for each of us, that uh, to also be able to recognize that all around us there's a lot of goodness, a lot of nourishment, a lot of support um, from the natural world from from um, the other people here and from the good intentions of all of us. And that's always important to attune to that in life because it's so easy, isn't it? Particularly in our times when there's so much challenge and uh, so many really difficult things happening um, on the earth and globally. It's really uh, easy to get overwhelmed and activated and pulled into the cycle of despair and and reactivity, but it's really important to keep honing and tuning to the goodness that's always here, um, no matter what's going down, good good intention, and in particular to hone into that within ourselves. It's easy to lose touch with that as well when we're in states of uh, struggle or suffering, or activated in our patterns, to, to lose touch with our fundamental goodness and 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 good intention, good heart, well-being. So we've been practicing really cultivating this well-being is another way of talking about this practice of uh, what the Buddha calls samadhi. Uh, This word which, if you break it down, also means, um, sang means together, and di means dhi, which is the root of the word dharani, which is to hold, which is another word for mantra, it's to hold together, and the, the middle part of the, the long A, samadhi, uh, has a, a sense of movement in it. 
So this sort of holding together, <laughs> moving towards something that's a togetherness, you know, holding us together. <laughs> uh, so this practice, this simple practice of holding attention to our, our present experience, however uh, we can within this body-breath sensation experience that we have, uh, to hold steadiness within that begins to accumulate this, to get this gathering and this unification, uh, particularly of, uh, uh, Sara has been uh, describing, particularly of mind-body, mental factor. So mind very flighty, moves, um, is, is energized by our patternings, uh, caught up often in, in various forms of proliferation. And that mind beginning to settle on the slow rhythm of the body, and the body which is often unconscious to us, and we sort of drag it around, but allowing the body to be illuminated and filled with the light of the mind, of the jitta, uh, to allow this uh, body to be filled also with the awareness that we bring to it and the breath energy. And uh, the, the feeling tones that, w- that are within the body, which are sometimes quite difficult to be with or disparate or painful, to feel those beginning to soothe and calm just through the simple practice, but very patient practice of gathering and being returning again and again to to being with our experience as best as we can, as fully as we can. So this samatha, it's called samatha, the calming meditation, samadhi, the gathering, this is, um, has been talked about. This is a very primary and core aspect of the path activity and perhaps the most challenging in some ways to cultivate because um, we we easily get very dispersed and easily get distracted and easily get caught in uh, the momentum of something else to look for and discontent with this present experience. So we have to uh, train ourselves to simplify uh, until we actually have moments. You see sometimes see practitioners having moments of really enjoying and experiencing a sense of pleasure, just being, being with the breath, being with the beauty of the land, being with the feeling of the uh, morning, early morning walk up the hill um, when, the, when the stars and the moon are, are out and being noticing things that we don't usually notice because we're so busy getting somewhere else. Noticing what's, what's here and how, how gorgeous everything is when we have the eye to see it. So this this uh, this act of being present and simplification um, is actually an attunement to a sensitivity that uh, that can that can also be heightened in this practice of samadhi. But it is in some ways, and as as was said, it leads. You know, it's the, it's the foundational foundational aspect of the path because it becomes the ground upon which um, wisdom can grow. But there has to be certain factors that start to happen to allow that wisdom to to grow. Um, And one of those factors is really, and it's not an easy one, which is the willingness to allow ourselves to be disturbed. (laughs) So that uh, in the samadhi practice, often it's dependent upon um, withdrawing the senses from our usual, usual activity uh, it's dependent upon the control of an environment often, like not speaking to each other, not necessarily engaging, 
trying to keep a sort of fairly contained space, um, you know, sort of removed of, uh, from a certain amount of disturbance and impingement. But it's a very, if we if we don't mature the samadhi beyond that, it becomes quite fragile because then the slightest sound or someone um, moving in a certain way or a, a thought form or a particular um, inner some part of our inner material, psychodynamic material arises or some impingement from around us can easily then disturb us and we can land up becoming very um, upset by the, by the natural flow and changes uh, of what impinges upon us. You know, so um, as uh, when Ajahn Chah uh, told this story before and for some of you it may be a bit boring but it's actually quite a good principle in it when he first... Uh, came to the West in 1976, I think, and we were all very excited. He came to London. He was going to give a Dharma talk at the small Vihara in Hampstead. And uh, that evening was a very hot summer's night, and uh, the windows were open. This house in Hampstead, the windows were open to have some fresh air come in. And, but across the road was a pub. And that night they had a rock band in the pub. And it, they were sort of going full blast. And so we as sort of these meditators were sitting there and we, you know, we were getting very upset about this. And we, he couldn't actually give a talk because it's too noisy. So, uh, so while everyone was getting upset and agitated, he was just smiling and sitting there. And he wasn't bothered, you know, he wasn't upset, you know. And at the end of the evening, when everyone was in a, quite a lather about all of this, um, he just said, well, did, did, that, did that noise disturb you or did you go out and disturb that noise? <laughs> did, you know, where's the suffering, in other words? Where's the real problem here? You know, because if the problem's in, in the noises outside, then we're constantly having to sort of move the, the furniture of life around, which we do a lot to try and get it nice for ourselves, which is fine and there's merit in that but there's also uh there's also a place where where sometimes we just can't do that or or that we have to look a bit deeper and realize actually there's a way of being peaceful um there's the through wisdom not just through um concentration that actually is a deeper peace regardless of the circumstances so Ajahn Chah talked about two kinds of peace he said there's the peace from samadhi from gatheredness, from the calming that we're doing, and there's great benefit in that, and it's a very necessary and important part of the path. And, you know, something we should spend a lot of time cultivating through a lifetime. But then he said there's the deeper, more stable piece of wisdom and insight, of actually understanding the conditions of life and not giving rise to to unnecessary suffering and reactivity because of the way things happen to be, or the way people happen to be, or the way situations are, or how the body is, or the experiences that we have that are beyond our control, which often is quite a lot of our experience, let's face it. But what we can perhaps control is the way we respond and how we are in relationship to our experience, and we can do this through the cultivation of wise reflection, what's called uh, panya or wisdom. 
through this activity that that is balancing and supporting the samadhi and works with the samadhi, which is called the vipassana, or the dhamma vijaya, or the investigation of the way things are, the insight meditation. So these ta- uh, these two aspects are taught in tandem: the samadhi, samatha samadhi, the calming and the gathering and the focusing and the and the stabilization are are taught in in tandem with the with the opening of the awareness uh, to contemplate the, the the reality of our experience for the sake of of understanding for the sake of insight for the sake of freedom Ajahn Chah would say that these two he said they're like um a candle and a flame. The samadhi is like building building the candle. It's like her body, you know, some something stable. And then the the then you can light the candle because there's something to burn. There's some steadiness of mind. So if you're looking or exploring your experience, there's some steadiness of focus. The mind just doesn't flit flit away into the next thing. Yeah. So you try to light that flame of insight and there's no candle then it sort of easily blows out in the next thought or or impulse but if you just build a huge candle and never light it then really <laughs> you haven't really understood the fullness of the path you know you sort of put it there on the shrine look at it as a wonderful candle but then you sit in the dark so that we that, that you know want to light the candle so we can see what's going on for this work this uh, deeper work and and difficult work of freeing the heart from unnecessary dukkha that's generated from the ignorance of the mind, from not understanding the nature of reality. Or he said sometimes it's like a knife, these two aspects of samatha, samadhi, and vipassana, calming and insight, calming and investigation. It's like the, the, the back of the knife has some strength, but the blade is the thing that cuts through. So the back of the knife is again like this gathering, it's focusing, it's calming, but then turning that mind to inquire is like that, that sharp edge that can cut through what is not necessary to, to hold on to anymore, you know, to, to cut away what is... Uh, unnecessary, self-inflicted suffering. Or the Buddha called, likened these two like to two great oxen. So we're in the analogies of horses and things that pull carts. <laughs> that they work in tandem. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure what they're pulling along, but maybe the, <laughs> the cart of liberation. <laughs> I've forgotten what they pull. But they pull something. <laughs> One can't remember everything. Maybe a plow. Oh, a plow. That's good. <laughs> Cultivating the field of our, of our garden. <laughs> Growing our garden of wisdom. So, so Ajahn Chah also said, uh, don't be like um, someone that, uh, that uh, needs a good lawyer to get themselves out of trouble. That's what he said about Westerners when he came here and he saw us on a retreat. He was actually very impressed that we were all doing these retreats. 
but he he also said, "You guys, you're a bit like a you you have a good lawyer. When you get into trouble, you go on retreat. You know, <laughs> get yourself out of trouble." He said, "You know, it's like having a lawyer spring you out of trouble." He said, "But you need to know what gets you into trouble in the first place." <laughs> so this insight uh, meditation is, is, you know, we're exploring uh, how we get ourselves into trouble in the first place. You know, how we tie ourselves up, you know, in these unnecessary knots of suffering and complexity and and proliferation and on and on and drama and difficulty and you know, uh, so that uh, we can explore right at the heart of that, explore and and have the capacity and agency to free ourselves. Or he said that another analogy he gave for just cultivating, he said, you, know, you can get very attached to your quiet space. You know, and he said, but it's really, you know, again, he said, it's really very fragile just to do that, just to hold on to this. He said, you land up in a cave. You, know, you just and you don't want, he said, or he said, it's like putting a stone on the grass. You, you know, you think that the grass stopped growing, and this is an analogy for for what disturbs us, the hindrances, but then you, the, the stone moves away, you leave the retreat, and the, the right triggers come along, and then we get activated again. You know, so you don't stay in the trenches all the time, you know, just you know, to, to take courage, to, to move out, and the, you know, this, these are all ways of speaking to say if we've been disturbed, then that actually, although we resist that and we think, oh, it's a bad meditation. Actually, it's, it's, it's the fruit, one of the fruits of the meditation is to allow ourselves to feel what disturbs us. This, this is what will come. Someone was uh, telling, telling us in the, uh, telling me in one of the interview groups this morning that they wanted to come for a very peaceful time of day, very peaceful meditation. And that didn't happen because there are others in the room and they felt disturbed and it's very upsetting and say no actually that was the meditation that was right (laughs) we come for one thing but then we get whatever's needed we don't want it to be like that but then in the vipassana and if it's samadhi yes that's a disturbance and maybe we try to come back to the breath and that's all very good but there's also a certain point where we can understand this is now the work the disturbance is the path it's not in spite of the path, it becomes the path. And then we, you know, not to fear that, but to realize that there's some stability that we can turn that to begin to open the mind to contemplate how is this experience in regards to, for example, these classical territories of, of the hindrances, what comes to, to hinder us. We call them hindrances. And these these five general spheres, there's many variations, but these these five, just to name them, and again, for many of us, there's like, oh, here we go again, another list. But uh, <laughs> but they are, you know, that we've exper- all experienced all of these on these few days on, on our retreat. And sometimes we experience them all at once. <laughs> this first one of, of what's called Kamatanha, which is, this um, it's usually translated as as a sort of craving or thirsting uh, for some sort of um, absorbing some into some sensory experience, uh, you know, sort of scanning for somewhere for the mind to rest, um, 
And on retreat, we don't have many places to to absorb into. Like if we're in at home, we we have so many different ways we can the mind can absorb. You know, switch on the TV, or they go to the internet, or go to the fridge, or look up a magazine, or call something. You know, the, the mind's always moving, looking to absorb. But when we unhook from that in the retreat situation we sometimes get to see that energy but it doesn't actually you know the thing about desire is it's quite um seductive because it's always sort of saying like it's going to be better when we get that thing when we go to that place the seduction in it is that we believe it (laughs) and if you notice we've believed it a lot um, and and yet when we get that thing, um, then it's not long before then it's something else. And so it keeps moving, but it, it, it doesn't reveal itself. It just keeps pointing us to the place where we need to get. But in this in this practice, we have the opportunity, because there's not a lot to absorb into, you know, after we've read all the notices and we've checked everyone out and we've done all the footpaths and we've sort of read again what's in this sort of jar of something or other and, you know, all the, all the ways that we can on a retreat, you know, absorb the mind and it's sort of read this, the list of names on, on the interviews again and again and <laughs> written a few notes and received a few unsatisfactory answers. You know, it's like, you know, then, you know, then it really starts to, to come home that the uh, you know that that we're stuck. <laughs> you know we can't. Urgent trying to say when you can't go up, you can't go down, you can't go back, and you can't go forward. Then that's very good. That's when, that's when when the practice really starts. You know, there's no no real easy escape. Of course, we found we do find them. Might always find them, but you know. So we might actually begin to have moments where we contemplate that energy, and this is the beginning of wise reflection, wise contemplation. We can sometimes have moments of seeing desire or that movement just for what it is. And it's very liberating to actually see, you know, that that movement as just that. Oh, this is a force of nature, it's Dhamma. It's not rather than making it so personal as well, like, oh, I'm a bad person or I shouldn't have these feelings or desire or lust or whatever it is. And then we personalize it, then we become neurotic, and then we think I have to call up my therapist when I get home and you know, really sort out this big issue, um, which we probably will have to do anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just actually just a moment of noticing this is a movement of Dhamma, this is nature. You know, this is nature, this is Dhamma, and we can reflect on it. How does it feel in the body? So the same quality of attention that we've b- brought to the breath and the feeling we can bring to that experience of desire or the second hindrance, the opposite, aversion. Something triggers us, a noise or, or a feeling or an old memory, and we can get very, very averse, very upset. And that's good. We want to see these things rather than thinking, this is bad and my meditation's going wrong. And I know we hear this a lot. Um, and, and again and again, we fall into the trap of feeling something's going wrong because I'm not peaceful. 
Yes, we are. <laughs> you know, but actually, again, something's going right because this is what we want to work with, actually. We really want to work with these places in this situation, in this safe container. So as Ajahn Chah again would say, he said, when, when these, um, you know, when desire and aversion, when these emotions and passions and impulses and, you know, when they hit the mind, he said, let your, your mindfulness be like a net, a fine net to catch them so you can contemplate them before you react. And how many times have we, I know I have many times just reacted <laughs> reacted on these impulses and then then you find yourself caught in, uh, in, in unnecessary suffering or creating it or complexity uh, and sometimes we you know we have or others in the moment have reacted uh, with disastrous consequences so you know he would he would say you know these these in these moments we're practicing to prepare for those big moments when something really hits and we could react in a very disastrous way create a lot of suffering. So we're learning in these small, like baby steps, when we sit here and there's aversion in the mind and it's heat in the body and, uh, and anger and we want to do something and we can't. We have to, you know, we're in the sitting. We have to, we have to contain that. But then we just start to apply this medicine. Take a breath. Where is the sensation? Where is it felt? Take a breath there. Take the awareness there. Being as in the second foundation, the feeling within the feeling. It's unpleasant feeling. In this moment, actually, before we go into the complexity of why is this happening to me and where did it come from and I'm a bad person or I need to get rid of it, Oh, so and so, we, you know, un, you know, undercutting all of that complexity goes straight to the feeling within the feeling. It's unpleasant feeling. Just breathing there, breathing there, and that it, that's a very powerful and optimum way that the awareness itself will start to alchemically uh, shift and transmute that energy. You know, and desire can be transmuted into energy to support the practice rather than in moving out and dissipating. Or aversion can be transmuted into clarity, to really seeing clearly, you know, that actually the problem isn't maybe so much the other, although that could be a problem and maybe we need to do something to, to not to say there's no ever response or a way of uh, wise response, but actually the real problem is our reactivity and, and the generation of unnecessary suffering is a problem for us. And sometimes it's a problem for others as well. So these other two spheres of, of the um, dullness and the heaviness and the mind just shutting down, the not wanting to be here, it's very, very deep tendency that that we can have that comes up in these retreats, comes up in our practice, comes up a lot for me. It's resistance. I just don't want to really be embodied. I don't really want to experience my incarnation. I don't really want to be here. I just want to go to sleep. (laughs) 
you know, I want to go under that lovely blanket and that room, that beautiful new rooms that they've made for the teachers. I don't want to leave that room. <laughs> you need to feel the resistance come up, you know. And this is a third hindrance, you know, it's, it takes different forms. Or, or the opposite, where the mind gets very activated and comes very restless, sort of worried, anxious, just moving from one thing to another. Um, these are these are difficult energies, but we want to to see them, and we can in the insight we can begin by just naming. This is the mind caught in restlessness. It's not just the mind; it's in the body, and this is an opportunity to turn that samadhi, that focus, and to contemplate. As as Kitty Sai was saying in response to the question this morning, you know, when when you look at the the levels of purification and transformation and um, awakening. And the Buddha laid out the, the, the levels of awakening in the, in the traditional map, anyway, in the Theravada uh, school, um, that these hindrances drop away. They drop away and they lessen. But the, one of the very last ones to drop away is this feeling of restlessness, this feeling, subtle feeling, and someone else was talking in one of the groups about, you know, really having peace, really feeling peace. And then the mind would go, is that it? <laughs> you know, I want something more. You know, this is the restlessness. You know, we, we want, we don't, we're actually, peace is a bit boring to us. You know, we come here to be peaceful, but then we finally peaceful. It's like, well, is that it? You know, I, you know, well, I should do something with it, you know, s- sell it somehow. <laughs> Market it, package it. <laughs> you know, we want to we want to do something. It's one of the great saints, Nisaga Data Maharaj. So also comment about us as, uh, or was it Ramana Maharshi? I can't remember. Probably the, all of these guys. Anyway, they, you know that we're we're so so. Um, you know, we're so. Um, oh no, I forgot what he said. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Something about we're too, we're too, uh, you know, busy trying to to to, um, you know, we're not patient with this peacefulness. We're too busy wanting now to do something. Yeah, so that uh, you know, Ramana Maharshi spent twenty five years in silence to mature his awakening. You know, in ten days, come on, you know, let me get it. So it's very, very patient, and then, and then when the, the, you know when these hindrances subside, there's peace, and to 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 be able to savor that, it's not that far away. It's very intimate, actually. Peace is, as Kisara uh, saying, quoting the Buddha, is always akaliko, is always timeless here and now, always present, always to to be turned to, to be noticed. You know, even within the restlessness. But it's a habit, so we have these habits, you know, we feel if we're peaceful, it's not enough. We have to fill up somehow. In this last uh, territory of, of what can come or what fools us or what hijacks us is this experience of, of what's called um, vichikicho, which is a, a sort of a, um, a, a doubting, anxious, saboteur, saboteur, Am I doing it well enough? Should I be doing it different? Um, should I go off and do something completely different? You know, we're sitting here 
being with the breath is very simple instruction. Just, you know, just be here with the body and breath. But, you know, it's a little too simple. Maybe I should be doing, focusing in my third eye and, you know, doing some really kind of super energized practice there so I can blow out the crown chakra. <laughs> or, or maybe, maybe I shouldn't really be up there and maybe I should really go down into the root, you know, even though that might be a bit tricky, but, you know, grounded power, you know, or, you know, so or maybe I shouldn't really be doing this kind of practice at all. I should be out there in the world serving activist. So the mind can saboteur um, and doubt, and it's not that doubt is is it's it's um, it's an important uh, quality when it's honed. Again, when it's transmuted, it becomes inquiry, skillful. You know, the doubt that can actually. Like, oh, I don't know, maybe let me look at this. But when it's just agitation, undermining, then it doesn't allow us to root or ground or really be uh, with what's going on um, and to explore. We just get moved and caught up and get landed. Actually, it's connected with thinking. It's connected with trying to think our way to an answer. It's very, it's very connected with the conceptual framework. And this is why when they talk about stream entry and the path of awakening, it's connected with seeing through doubt because it's connected with seeing through the thinking, over-reliance on the cognitive and thinking frame through which we place our experience in ourself and place the world. That's one dimension, but there's a whole other dimension of our being, which is awareness. So when we're aware of doubt, then we're not doubting. We're aware of doubt and investigating it and seeing how it undermines and destabilizes and pushes us back into that round of trying to figure it all out. And we go round and round. And then someone gives us an answer and then we're happy for a moment, but then we go, I don't know about that. And start thinking again. So a moment of just being able to see this is, this is doubt. And then we're back rooted in aware presence here, peaceful, stable, but open too. So whatever is moving through the jitta, moving through the heart, the timeless unmoving heart, is not disturbing that heart. It's there to be contemplated as dharma. So this is why Ajahn Chah said, um, you know, train yourself to investigate um, and, and avoid getting caught up in doubts. Don't, don't doubt about the way of your practice. When there's happiness, watch the happiness. When there's suffering, investigate the suffering. And having established awareness, make the effort to, to overcome them both by letting them go. Uh, he said, uh, you know, to, to, to don't just hide out and to avoid. He called them the enemy's bullets. This is the Thai way of speaking. <laughs> it's a little bit more martial than I'd probably um, choose to, to articulate it. But uh, to not, not fear the impingement of the hindrances, but to understand that actually as we open and to work with the suffering that they bring us, the agitation that they bring us, that they actually are... So you also talked about that these are the sharpening stones for our wisdom. Like when he came to England after a few years when 
um, the monasteries. We began building the monasteries in the early crazy communities that we lived in. And, and he came to check out how it was all going. And he said to the abbot, Ajahn Sumedho, he said, how's it all going? And he said, no, no, it's all going well. It's all going fine. And he went, hmm, well, there's not going to be much wisdom here then, is there? <laughs> so he understood something very important. It's not that we don't want it to all go fine, but it doesn't always all go fine, does it? It often doesn't really go fine. And, and we can think this, this, is, this, is a, this is something bad, something wrong, but actually this is a challenge, whether it's on a very small and personal level. It's not small to us, but whether it's on a personal level or whether it's on a collective level. We now live in a time where we have a collective global challenge on extraordinary, uh, you know, unprecedented levels. And those challenges could destroy us, or they can profoundly awaken us. You know, the, we don't know which way that will go, but there's an opportunity. And the same principles apply, whether it's personally or collectively, that we have to meet the challenge. Right? And to to meet it not unwisely or unpreparedly, but to, to understand that to meet it, that we have the best preparation to meet it through the very practices that we're doing, through the patient cultivation of this gathering of the samadhi, through the moments of mindful reflection. As is said in the, in the, the teaching, that actually mindfulness rules all conditions. It doesn't when we just get washed around by the conditions of our experience. But when there's a steady apprehension of the experience now, here and now, that actually mindfulness, from the Mula Sutta, dominated or ruled by, all thi- by mindfulness are all things. And surmounted by wisdom, it's mindfulness is in relationship, bringing mindful awareness in relationship to how is it now? This is how it is. This is the hindrance. This is the experience of desire, of aversion, of fear, of overwhelm, of doubt, of tiredness, whatever is arising. Bringing, applying the mindful, wise reflection, investigating what is actually happening here. What assumptions are we making? Really looking into the nature of the experience. How solid is it really? You know, what's the sense of self in it? Where is the holding? Where is the grasping? Uh, Where is the suffering? And as as the, the Buddha pointed to, that when there's the arising of this experience of suffering, then underneath that we're holding in a certain way. This is the suffering, not so much, say, of the pains of the body or the larger collective um, situation, but relating to the dukkha that's generated from the mind. This sort of generation of suffering dukkha that we do from not understanding uh, or clearly being in relationship with the reality is something that we can overcome through this mindful investigation. So underneath the dukkha, we're holding in a certain way through this experience of what Ajahn Chah called the wanting and not wanting of the mind. It is like it is now. And if there's dukkha, even subtly, then usually underneath there's this agitation happening. I, I don't want what is. Um, 
the people in the room, the pains in my body, the state of mind. And I want it to be a different way. So it's a very easy way to actually enter into this teaching of overcoming, surmounting uh, the suffering that's generated in our experience through this unwise relationship to the moments of our experience. And then when we see that, moments we see that, then there can be the softening and the opening and the release. There still might be uncomfortableness, there still might be pain, there still might be challenge, there still might be difficulty, but we're not adding the extra dukkha. We we have a chance of actually gaining uh, a stabilizing ground of refuge, which the... um, Great, uh, other great, many of these great masters that came from the forest school of Thailand, Ajamahobu, he called this the, the change of lineage. When we actually move from the circumference of reactivity of our, to our experience where there's suffering, and we shift to uh, knowing awareness as our refuge. He said that. Um, when dukkha, when suffering stops, when we release out of that suffering syndrome, then what remains is entirely pure awareness. It is the purity of the jitta, this is heart-mind. This is the purity, the natural state of the jitta. It's peaceful, it's pure, it's unshakable, immovable. He said, if you want, you can call it nibbana, you can call it what you like. It's beyond uh, words. And so in moments, it doesn't have to be far out somewhere after we sat for, you know, on the mountaintop not being disturbed. But in very simple moments, we can recognize the unshakable jitta as awareness, as presence here and now, even within the experience of struggle. And this is where the practice of inquiry, investigation, uh, leads us. So a lot of our work actually, whether it's now in the retreats, or whether it's in our daily life as we start to take this practice into our daily life, a lot of the work is really about meeting uh, these hindrances <laughs> when they arise. It's not all that, thank goodness. We also look at very uh, factors of awakening and the positive factors within the jitta and the heart. But the, the, these are important because these are the things that give us a lot of grief. Um, so it's important to recognize when they arise and rather than take them too personally, start reacting, to recognize, ah, this is actually dhamma, this is an opportunity and this is the, the, the sharpening stone for growing my strength because uh, as we start to engage the the hindrances, then we're also engaging strengths within us, strength of patience, of insight, of inquiry, of clarity, of investigation, of self-empowerment to actually work through some of the suffering ourselves. So this, the Buddha said, as we begin to um, resolve and work through, particularly some of the coarser levels Um, of 
these forms of suffering, he said it's a bit like we are someone that becomes free from debt or someone that becomes free from sickness or someone that's uh, free from servitude or free from prison or has been on a long journey in in a barren situation but arrives into a safe place. So these are very powerful analogies for the positive outcome of this work that often we labor um, unconsciously under this feeling of dukkha without realizing that we have the agency within us to to resolve, resolve unnecessary dukkha and to free our heart. You know, it's a lovely thing to be free from you know, it's like we're used to having this feeling of slight inner sickness because of these hindrances. And not to underestimate in that process of the power uh, of this practice. Uh, going back to what was uh, said in the, in the beginning of the retreat, that this path activity in and of itself is that which actually... Um, removes and transmutes and transforms these hindrances and distills from them the nectar of insight, which is peace, which is inner freedom, which is inner agency uh, within the world through clarity, to see more clearly, not to get so caught up with the sufferings and the reactivities go on around us. And that's a great blessing for ourselves and for others. So to finish uh, this evening with a few words again from our teacher, Ajahn Chah. He said, you will reach a point where the heart tells itself what to do. You won't need a teacher. <laughs> heart has the wisdom. Yeah. We're, le- we're learning to hear that wisdom. You will reach a point where the heart itself tells you what to do. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Don't keep pushing it. Don't keep trying to you know, um, unfold the path and the fruits of the path before they're ready to unfold. They will in their own time. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings. You will reach a point where your heart tells itself what to do. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still 
This is the happiness of the Buddha. May it be so for each of us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.